The Lord be with you. All right, well, just like Matt said, we're uh, in a season of Lent, which is a time of reflection and preparation for Easter. And we're doing this College of Preachers, and uh, or cohort or cadre or whatever C word you'd like to use would be fine. So uh, it's my turn this week, so I'm excited and a little nervous, um, but would you pray with me to begin with? Father, I thank you for these people, for these friends, and I just ask that you would open up our minds and hearts to your word this morning, that you would search us and know us, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, and give us grace to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So to begin with, I'd like to just reflect back on the scripture that we just heard, but just a portion of it that we're going to kind of focus in on. And it's at the beginning. It's John 4, 4 through 7, if you'd like to follow along. And it says there, um, and it's the short version here. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now from this story today, uh, we're going to see that the good news to each of us is that in the midst of our shame storms, that God comes to us and he calls us out of hiding and into this goodness of being known. I grew up in southern Minnesota in a town of about 40,000 people. And the elementary school that I went to was uh, Hoover Elementary, named after the president, Herbert Hoover, right? And my fourth grade year that year was a very different kind of year. Our school had been growing, and that year we had just been over capacity. And so it was very different in that we uh, were assigned locker mates. We had to share a locker with somebody else. So... Um, Typically, we have breaks throughout the day, and the kids would go through to their lockers, change out their books, get ready for the next set of classes, that kind of thing. And I remember when that year, one time walking to my locker in the midst of all the kids and all the hallway noise, and I was coming closer to my locker, and I saw Julie, who was my locker mate that year. <clears throat> Excuse me. She was standing with her back faced away from me, talking with one of her friends. And as I was coming closer to my locker, um, I started to hear what she was saying. And by this time, I was standing right behind her, just waiting, you know, to get into my locker. And I heard her say, guess who I have to share a locker with this year? Debbie Bennett. I was called Debbie back. Don't call me Debbie now. It's only my friend, only my family does, so it's, it's kind of a, a thing. But my maiden name was Bennett, so guess who I have to share a locker with this year? Debbie Bennett. And I remember in that moment just um, just this uh, feeling, this deep feeling that it was just, I, to describe it, it, was a, it honestly was like a suffocating shame that took my breath away. To hear that said about me standing right behind this person, um, I remember feeling just overcome with this sense of 
I wasn't wanted. I didn't belong. Um, I wasn't welcome. And I had this sense that everybody else had already known this about me, and now I was finding this out. But not like this friend coming and sharing this with me, but overhearing it from somebody else. And uh, just this sense of there was something deeply wrong with me, you know? Um, and I remember that day, that, that shame, it has a way of burrowing into your soul when those kinds of things happen to us, right? Now her friend who was standing facing me saw me coming up, right? And so she saw that I was standing right behind Julie and she gave this, oh no, look. And Julie saw her give this look and she's like, what? She slowly turns around and sees me standing there. And instantly, like, she just went white as a sheet. Her friend, I'm sure, was feeling embarrassment and shame. Julie was feeling embarrassment and shame, and as well as I. Instead of, though, in that moment, you know, I could have burst out in tears and ran the other way. I could have yelled at her in anger, you know. Um, if I was a guy, I could have punched her in the face. I don't know. <laughs> but... I did something different that day. I honestly, I, I swallowed my shame and I pulled it together. And I remember saying to her, Hey, Julie, can I get into our locker, please? Just pretending that everything was okay. What I just heard, maybe I didn't hear that kind of uh, sense. And from that moment on, I remember being very intentional to not be at my locker at the same time as Julie. I didn't want to see her. I didn't want to connect with her. I did not want to feel that feeling again. It was, it was not a fun feeling to feel. Um, I think at the end of the day, I felt damaged. And being around her then reminded me of that feeling. So I was very intentional not to be at the locker at the same time. I don't know if any of you have experienced anything like this. Um, I'm sure as you think back to elementary school, middle school, you're thinking of stories that are similar to that, perhaps. And the woman at the well, um, honestly, this is exactly what she was feeling, right? These stories get replayed throughout history. It started with Adam and Eve, right? Hiding, feeling that shame and hiding. And it continues on in different stories in different ways uh, since then. And this is where the woman at the well was that day when Jesus came to her. See, she had three strikes against her. The first one was that she wasn't great at relationships, right? It says that she had multiple husbands, and the man that she was now with wasn't her husband at all. Two, she was a Samaritan, which Samaritans were like half-caste people. They were lower than the others, and the Jews did not associate with them, definitely didn't you know, share a, a cup of water together. They didn't go out for drinks. And three, she was a woman, which back in those days, um, it was very different. Women were more seen as property, something to be owned, definitely less than, um, less than men. So she comes to the well for some water that day. And women were the typical water gatherers. That was one of their, one of their jobs, one of their duties. Um, but wells weren't just, you know, places for gathering water. 
but they were social gathering places. So they came for connection and conversation. Um, but this was typically done during the evening because it was so hot during the day. So they came to gather the water um, in the cool of the evening. But in our story, it says that she came at noon, which would have been the absolute hottest part of the day. The sun would be blazing high in the sky, um, beating down upon her. It would be a really hard time to carry this huge jug of water and lower it down to the well to get some water, right? So she came there for a very specific purpose. It was so that she didn't have to see anyone, so that she didn't have to be reminded of her shame. She didn't want to connect. She wanted to avoid others. Because if she did come during the evening, she probably would have just been shunned anyway. You know, probably would have been worse. And it was in the midst of that place that Jesus notices her. He notices her. He sees her. He connects with her. He's with her in that moment, right? He's with her in that place of living out of her shame storm. And friends, this is the good news to us today. It's the good news that in our moments like that, Jesus sees us and he comes to us and he calls us out of that place and into the goodness of being known. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, the similar situation reminded me of this, of it this week. Um, the interview with the guy uh, on the BBC when his little kids come in. He's on this video. Has, did you guys see this? Oh my gosh, I've never laughed so hard this month. Um, so this interview, he's doing like one of those video conference calls. You know, he's in his like home office, it looks like. He's sitting at the computer, starting this interview, something about North Korea, South Korea, whatnot. And in the corner, you see, as soon as the interview starts, the door swings open, and in walks this four-year-old, like, with this, <laughs> with this amazing swag. I shouldn't go too far. Um, she's got this bright yellow sweater on, glasses, you know. She just jaunts in, walks right up to her dad, and leans up, like books are falling off the table, or I'm not sure what it is, but books are falling off, and then the interview says, oh, I think your daughter just walked into the room. <laughs> like, live TV, everything. This look of horror comes over this guy's face, and he's like, yeah, and he's trying to push his daughter away. It just gets worse, guys. In the corner then, you see this baby in this walker, like, scooting in, you know? <laughs> She's coming in then, comes right over to where her sister is. Moments later from that, then this is the best part, the mother comes storming in, darts and looks around, sees the kids, drops to the floor, crawls over to them, grabs one of the four-year-old with one hand, the walker in the other, and drags them out, crawling on the floor. <laughs> And then you see an arm reach in, grab the door handle, and slam the door shut. All the while, this guy is like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <sighs> yes, North Korea and South Korea, and trying to go on with the interview, right? It's that same feeling, right? The mother was feeling shame and horror. He was feeling shame and horror. Um, it's a funny example, but it, it's the exact same thing, isn't it? See, we live in a world where one of the main tools of the enemy is shame for all of us. 
It began again with Adam and Eve, and it continues on to this day. And shame says, it's not just that I've done something bad, but that at the core of who I am, I am bad. It's, it becomes an identity, right? It strikes at our identity. And we hide from that place, right? We hide our true authentic selves because we're afraid. We're afraid of, of showing ourselves and having that be seen. And our culture is, is incredibly anxious and fearful of being seen and known. We spend a lot of our lives hiding behind these images that we project to each other. You know, like, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but walking into a room where you don't know anybody, it might maybe not Andy Knopfmeyer, but walking into a room where you don't know anybody and, and you, you're like, where should I stand? Where should I sit? Like, where do I put my hands? <laughs> you know, you feel that nervousness. It's these moments that, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to look like more than we are or something that we're not. It's all the games that we, that we play to be seen in a certain way. Sometimes maybe we don't know how to do our job well, and we feel insecure about that. And it, we feel um, just a question mark over our value. You know, well, maybe I should be able to know how to do this, and I don't. Uh, but we project, you know, we project confidence and knowledge, and I got this, you know. Again, it's the same thing for us. It's, it's our hustle to hide, to hide what's really going on inside of us. Maybe our friends are having a get-together, and we learn about it later and realize, wait a minute, I wasn't even invited to that. What, what is that all about? Like, was it, did I do something wrong? Did I offend somebody? Is, wait, do they not want to be with me? It's that same thing. You know, we hide because there's no guarantee of outcomes when we're vulnerable and when we share. And so we pretend, perhaps we see that friend next time and we pretend that everything's fine and oh, it's so great to see you. And meanwhile, we're carrying this pain with us. So there's no guarantee of outcomes and it's, it's terrifying for most of us when we're honest about that. And this is the experience of the woman at the well. It, honestly, it would have been like if we had gone to the grocery store or the gas station at midnight, if that was our normal thing. You know, we go at midnight when there's guaranteed to be nobody there. We can use a self-checkout lane. We can not connect. We can just do it and get out and be done. We don't have to connect with anyone. We don't have to see anyone. But Jesus comes to her in this symbolic place. And not in any of the ways that she's probably afraid of, you know, connecting with people. She's probably afraid of, you know, he doesn't come in judgment. He doesn't come in condemnation. He doesn't come with power over her. But he comes with this question. He comes with a question saying, will you give me a drink of water? Which is, it's him coming in weakness and in need and in vulnerability. He's opening up the path for her to walk down herself. So he comes with this question to connect relationally. 
I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Brene Brown. She's an author, and uh, she does some of I kind of have a counselor crush on her, so she's my favorite. Anyway, she has this amazing definition of connection. It's the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment. And when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. See, Jesus sees her in that moment. He connects with her. The disciples would have ignored her. They would have just kept walking. But he's with her in that moment. And he's opening this path of vulnerability to her. And they have this discussion back and forth, this conversation. And I'm not sure she quite gets it at the beginning. But as they continue to talk, and as Jesus continues in his gentleness and in connection, she starts to enter in. And this experience changes everything for her. It's incredible. At the end of the story, as you guys were listening, you heard that she left her water jug, which is pretty amazing. I mean, she wouldn't have been able to get water from then on. I'm sure somebody would have taken it. You know, she couldn't go up to one of the other women and been like, hey, uh, can I just borrow your water jug? Just, I'll just be five minutes. You know, I'm sure they wouldn't have let her do that. But she left her water jug, and she goes to the town, the very town, to connect with the people that she was trying to hide from shares her experience with, with them about Jesus, of connecting with him. And they're amazed. And then they come, and they connect with Jesus as well. She says, come meet a man who told me, I've done, who ev- who've told me everything I've ever done. And at the end of the story, they say, we now believe not just because of what you've said, because of what we've seen and experienced ourselves. So there's this amazing cycle as we enter into connection and vulnerability, we also open up the path for others to be, to be entering into connection, right? It's just the most beautiful thing. So the good news to us is that in the midst of our shame storms, God comes to us in that place, calling us out of hiding and into this goodness of being known. I wonder, what if this were really true? You know, we hear it and we're like, yeah, that sounds good. But, right? What if it were really true, though, for all of us today? The reality of this good news. You know, this reality, honestly, would be like, would be like us if we were like Casey or Cameron, right? Little kids don't know how to hide yet. They don't know how to hide who they are. They're just all out there. Here I am, climbing up on the couch, walking around, you know, getting too close to the candles. Parents a little nervous. But they're all out there, you know? Dallas Willard, another one of my favorite authors, uh, says about kids, their souls are displayed on their faces. They haven't yet learned to use their face to hide their soul. So we would be our authentic self, like Casey or like Cameron. Because it would be secure, be a secure place to do that. We wouldn't have to be afraid to be known and to know others. 
see that day with Julie, I'm, I'm learning, I'm realizing uh, that I learned a quiet lesson that day of what to do with my shame. I need to bury it. I need to hide it. I need to stuff it down. Don't let anyone else see it. And it's really one of the biggest challenges for me lately because I feel like it's what God's calling me out of lately. And it's a hard thing. It's hard, but it's good. (coughs) You know, recognizing where it shows up in my life is really tricky because I've noticed I'll, I'll recognize the shame, notice it, but then I'll feel shame for feeling shame. <laughs> you know that? Or I'll, I'll recognize the shame and stuff it, and I'll try and shift it onto somebody else. You know, it's your fault. You're the one who made me feel that way. So, so it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. Um, in our marriage, Ben and I are learning to do that, coming up with some phrases that are helpful to facilitate um, that kind of, of connection, learning to recognize and name those places. Sharing when our shame comes online is one of the phrases that we use. So, I mean, even this last week, we were, well, we were having a heated discussion. And, uh, you know, the discussion had ended, and Ben had walked out of the room. And around the corner, I hear this, <sighs> and I instantly felt it. It was like, oh, there it is, yep. And this time I came to him and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm realizing that when we have heated discussions and I hear you sigh, uh, that my shame comes online. And uh, I think it's because the story that I'm tempted to believe is that I'm a burden to you. So I just want to share that with you and, and invite, invite you into that. You know, those kinds of phrases are, are facilitating connection for us where, whereas before, you know, it would have been like, I would get, I would get angry and blame him, you know, like, oh, you're such a, whatever, I don't know what I say, you can fill in the blank. Um, right, yes, how handsome. Um, or I'd, or I'd assume that it's true and I'd withdraw, you know, just withdraw and just be by myself and you know, um, or pretend that it didn't happen and ignore it, you know, which doesn't do good things either. Um, but these new phrases are, you know, honestly, it feels like we're stumbling forward with them because we don't always recognize it. Um, sometimes we get down the road and, and I'm super angry or he's super angry at me and then we realize, oh, take steps back and realize that that's, that's what started it all. So these phrases are helping us, and I'm, I'm coming to learn that, that embracing being fully seen is actually the safest place I can be, because it's the place of connection, and that's what we were created for. That's why we desire connection and relationships with people. And this is where Jesus was inviting the woman into at the well, and it's where he invites each one of us today. Because it's how we live in love. So where does shame show up in your life? See, so there's this new reality that, that God enables and empowers us, right? To walk in this vulnerability and connection because we're sons and daughters of the Father. He gives us our who-ness, right? Our being. I love that phrase. He gives us our who-ness. It always reminds me of Dr. Seuss. 
Yeah. So he gives us our who-ness. Therefore, we can be seen without judgment. We can be all there. We can say, I am who I am in the eyes of God. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, just like that four-year-old jaunting into the room. Here I am, you know? And this is the place, just like the woman at the well, where we can be changed, where we can connect. And that's the living water that Jesus was talking about, the living water that springs up to eternal life. That's what he calls us into. Because it's where my, my deepest identity and my deepest freedom come from the Father's infinite love for me. So I don't have to hide. What if this were true today? What if this were true for us? What would be different? So what if in the midst of our shame storms, God's coming to us and calling to us, connecting with us, calling us out of hiding and into this goodness of being known? I'd love for us to take a few minutes to just enter into a time of response to this. Think about where are you tempted to hide? Where does shame show up for you? What relationship does it come up? And uh, we'll begin with a time of silence just for a few minutes. And just, just consider that. I want, to, I want to encourage you to just notice it. Don't feel like you need to do anything with it. Just notice it. Be with it with God. And listen for his voice. What's he saying to you in that moment of, of recognizing it? So let's attend to this in a few moments of silence, and then we'll respond together in prayer.